Hey everyone, August here, obviously. (laughs) I wanted to hop in before sharing this week's episode to check in. I wish I could ask you all individually, how are you doing? This is a wild time here in the U.S. and throughout the world given the coronavirus pandemic. I hope you're practicing social distance while still maintaining emotional connections. As others have said, social distance does not have to mean social isolation. If you're one of the many healthcare workers, janitors, grocery store clerks, or anyone else who's helping save and protect lives, thank you, thank you, thank you. So I recorded the episode you're about to hear several weeks ago before this new normal in the U.S. unfolded, before stores closed, before work for many people stopped, before so many of us started hunkering down at home. My guest, Natalie Woods, was in town, and she joined me in the studio for a really insightful and heartfelt chat about self-acceptance, body image, and some really interesting experiences she had as a bra fitter. I was going through it yesterday and recalled that we had this really deep dive into solitude. Natalie brought it up as a sort of ultimate path to self-embracement. So while that was definitely not meant to provide comfort amidst a pandemic, I am really grateful that it can. Lastly, if you would like to enjoy self-care in a spicy, sexy way, I highly recommend heading to thepleasurechest.com. Pleasure Chest stores are currently closed, but you can still shop online. If you're not sure what to choose, check out the recent episode on sex toy trends. It includes reviews, including one of my favorites, uh, shopping tips, and all kinds of cool stuff. So thank you for listening. Please keep prioritizing pleasure and enjoy the show. What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. What comes to mind when you think of clothes shopping? How about bra fitting? When I asked my mailing list this question, responses varied from ugh, bad memories, to a surprisingly empowering experience. So much more goes on in the lingerie department than choosing underwear. During her work as a bra fitter in a high-end store, Natalie Woods learned a ton about this and shared takeaways in her beautiful memoir, Full Support, Lessons Learned in the Dressing Room. I'm thrilled to have her here in the studio today to explore messaging around sex and body image, ways to turn off that super annoying inner naysayer, and more. With Dr. Megan Fleming's help, we'll weigh in for a listener who wants to embrace her changing body through middle age and keep negative self-talk from interfering with her sex life. If you're listening on a smartphone, just click or swipe to find the show notes. There you will find links to a one-on-one coaching special with Dr. Megan, Natalie's book, and my site, where you can find more Girl Boner fun and sign up for occasional extras by email. About once a month, I send news about upcoming events, special discounts, surveys that I love to do with y'all. Now I'm so pleased to welcome Natalie Woods. In addition to having authored Full Support, Natalie holds a BA in English from Washington State University and an MFA in writing from CalArts. 
She currently lives in Seattle and teaches language arts within the public school system. We're so lucky to have her here. Thank mm, you for being here. Thank you. I'm excited. I want to give a, another grateful shout out to Jill Marr, our wonderful agent. Awesome. Yeah. Who, kind of how we met. She's our matchmaker through, yeah. through our books. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's wonderful. And such a cool, cool woman. Isn't she awesome? She's rad. I know. So rad. So <laughs> yeah, rad. Very, I, just, I adore it's her. It's so nice. She's so um, relatable she and is. has a great sense of humor, I huge heart. Say, very mm-hmm. funny. Yeah. Very funny. Yeah. 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 So in your book, you share stories from people of all different walks of life. Mm-hmm. Was it difficult to choose who to, to feature? Oh, yes, yes. It took many months, actually years, if I'm honest. And I feel like I could write another book. I mean, there's so much I can do. I mean, I'm I'm just, yeah, I'm filled (laughs) with so many more ideas. And especially as I talk to women um, and men and everyone about this process, it's an immediate question of, well, what other other stories can you share? So, yeah, it was. It was difficult to to choose. I... um, I, I I worked through a lot of dialogue experiences and emotions that I had written down on paper mm-hmm. that I mentioned in the introduction, receipt paper and that I'd been holding on to and just kind of picked from what I what I feel, what I deemed important right now in our social climate and um, my own personal narrative, the parallels with that. And uh, yeah, so. It's beautiful the way that you weave these stories with reflections from your own life, which I think we all get as a reader when we're experiencing these stories, as well as your thoughts. So many relatable things. In every story, there was something that really struck me. Uh, The story about Molly really struck me for sure. She shared about her first sexual experience she was going to have, and it was really fascinating because she comes in to find a bra and ends up, you might have been the only person she talked to about, you know, I'm going to have sex for the first time. Mm-hmm. How did you mm-hmm. feel when she shared that? You know, honestly, I was nervous because, it, I mean, she's just she was a teenager. And it's so scary to think, you know, all these emotions going through your head and, and you having this this private reckoning with your body in front of the mirror, but yet with somebody present who's a stranger to you. And uh, in that time, in that space, it's it's so difficult to maintain a, you know, I, I don't, like a, a sense of, of awareness and confidence when you are bombarded with all the external aspects and forces that come into this. Yeah. I mean, right. she brought in but, a photo, like a, exactly. a torn out of a magazine. She, she brought in a magazine cutout. And which, you felt squeamish, I think I is did. the word you used. Yes. I, I was really uncomfortable because again, it's, you know, it's the, I mean, great example of um, just being so wrapped up in our beauty standards and, and it just, it, it broke my heart to be yeah. honest. It, because it what difficult. she wanted to look like was was what uh, a very traditional um, woman with kind of the tan skin, large breasts or larger breasts. This is you know these her words actually. What we would uh, what she deemed or the magazine deemed thin or beautiful, uh, 
and uh, yeah, I mean, flowing hair, mm. a Barbie, a Barbie. Yeah. As I was thinking, I was, I was, I was, yeah, the flat midsection, right? The the proportion, no That's organs enough. in there. Yeah, right. Yeah, a very proportioned body, um, in terms of you know you you everything just like the conventional idea of what we call beauty that hourglass yeah. the all of that exactly exactly i imagine some of the the emotions for you came up because you as so many of us do relate to that mm-hmm. do you remember your own first sexual experience the the period leading up to it and and how you were feeling oh yeah absolutely which i write about in the book it just it, it was um it was it was emotional and and yet empowering all at the same time but i didn't really understand the confusion or how outside of myself i was until i'm now you know until i really reached my 30s but it it was i prepped i prepped for my experience you know having sex for the first time i was you know i was dating this guy for a long time and everything was so planned for me which is kind of ridiculous in itself this idea of we're we're giving like it, like which you talk about this prized possession, mm-hmm. but there was a lot of planning that went into it. I, you know, I had a very I had a mom that was really supportive, but I I I didn't I wasn't I wanted it to be my own private experience. So, you know, I went out and bought lingerie again, following these beauty standards. My even looking through magazines myself. I I love lingerie. I do. I've I've, I've you know I love it. It was sexy. It still is for me. But I same thong underwear some a bra that was going to accentuate my breasts all for this triumph day of losing my virginity and preparing for it and all the things that could go into that that was created by really everyone but myself right that struck me so much about Molly's story too is that the bra was not even really for her <laughs> that it, that primarily and and I understand we want to look attractive Mm -hmm. for a partner, of course, but the focus is so much there. Had you learned much about your own body and orgasms and pleasure? What was your sex ed experience like? Um, You know, I, gosh, that's a really great question. So many layers to that too. My sex ed experience, I, you know, I was, um, I was really sexually curious from a young age. I mean, I can, I remember masturbating as a young girl and loving it just absolutely enamored with my body did you know what it was um it was masturbation no I don't think I did now they think I mean looking back and no I don't my my parents bought you know those books uh I think there's two the first one I think was published in 1973 where did where did I come from sure is that right I think that's what it's called it's it's a um kind of a very basic this is your body and Mm -hmm. You know, this is where babies come out of. These, are, this is the male anatomy and the the female anatomy. I'm using air quotes in here, but, um, and I remember looking at this book, thinking, okay, what this is? I'm fascinated with this, the human body, right? But I was looking through these pictures as a young girl and thinking, well, wait a minute, there's, there's, there's so much more to this. I'm feeling this way, you know. If I'm, it, it was, I don't know. So I, I was, I was very sexual as a child. And absolutely, that curiosity just would build and build and build. And, you know, I met 
somebody who I, I loved. He was my first love. Like I said, I held on to this. But I, um, and we were together for a very long time. But I experienced, it was my first experience, really profound sexual experience that was good. God, mm. I mean, I was like, I was having as a little, you know, remembering this pleasure as a little girl and, and kind of keeping it with me through the years and experimenting with my body quietly. And and then it it that absolutely translated over into my relationship as, you know, as a very curious adolescent who had great sex. Mm. I had great sex i love hearing that i did and I, it doesn't even sound like, like it was shrouded in shame you know no not having shame is that what you said yeah it not didn't sound like it was that shame was a at least not a, a force that would keep you from enjoying right yeah did you no. experience some of that i mean we all have some amount of messaging around you know whether sex is good or bad and, and all of these things and i think it gets into all of us on some level you're probably aware somewhat of some of those ideas, but it it sounds like that was not, you weren't grappling with, oh, is this sinful or, mm-hmm. you know, which so many people experience. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't, I don't think I was grappling with the sinful, um, but I was thinking, well, I don't want my parents to find out that I went to Planned Parenthood and, you know, prepared myself and then I'm having sex in the backseat of my car or skipping class to go have sex in the backseat of my car or when they're at work, I'm in my canopy bed. I mean, I, had, I, I didn't want them to know. Right. So there was almost, yeah. um, but I think also age attached to that. So mm-hmm. there was this, I was nervous of saying, you know, I'm 16 or really, I was 13 when I really started to experiment with mm-hmm. men, but or guys, I should say not men. Yeah. Guys my age. Sure. And, um, yeah, I it was just, I, I don't that. I, yeah, I don't. I don't know. It was. How did you know to go to Planned Parenthood? I think that's awesome. Well, I think it, it goes back to the sex ed. You you asked about my experience with that. I we we had some pretty. Um, I mean, I would say very traditional sex ed for sure. But it was, I remember sitting in a sex ed class like this is I I need to educate myself and there's there's more there's way more to this and I wanted I wanted it to be again a private experience I wanted to do it independently and I've always been in support of Planned Parenthood there was one very close to my high school and I just went in one day and I remember sitting in the waiting room filling out a clipboard and answering all these questions and um I met with this awesome nurse. She sat with me in the room. I watched these videos. We talked masturbation. We talked healthy sex, um, protection, all of it. It was it was really great. Which it's I'm really fortunate to have had that. Now that I think about it, you are. Yeah. And I I don't know. To be, I don't really know what propelled me to go in there. Um, I think most first off, I would say wanting to to have birth control lined up. That was that was important for me. I, I didn't want to be in a yeah. position where that's so important, I think, yeah. for many reasons. One being so many people the first time they have sex, no matter what, if there was a condom, if there was not, if it was just oral, there's this fear around pregnancy 
disease, all these different things, because we only learn very limited amounts of, of information. And a lot of times the sex ed is very abstinence-focused, mm-hmm. abstinence and yes. disease. Yes. And so, so we don't get a whole lot of options about, well, what if we do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think that's really great that you had the, the wherewithal to do that and that your experience was really encouraging. I'm sure that's, that's served you well. Yeah. Yeah. Did yeah. it, did it um, do you feel like that helped you in a way feel more positively about your body to, to have a better sense of body confidence? I ask because, as you know, in my own life, embracing my sexuality is what helped me heal from an eating disorder. Yeah. So those those types of issues, I think they're very linked for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It's not the only reason that you might struggle with um, body image, but it it can be a really big factor. So I, I'm just curious if you if did you have a, a fairly positive body image? No, I didn't actually. I, it took me many years to mm. get to where I am, like many people say, sure. and, and women specifically. I think, no, I I remember even my first experience having going in for birth control and sitting down. You know, they, they you're your first pap smear, right, or having to get naked and and spread your legs open and somebody you have all these things that are foreign to you the person sitting in front of you to what they're putting inside you all these things and I remember thinking oh man you know my my um my 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 belly is hanging out mm. oh my you know the but my thighs are so large or oh yeah I absolutely struggled it's uh it's so interesting there's so many factors that play into body image. Mm -hmm. I want to share a listener question that ties into this and your book very well, and one I think so many of us can relate to. It's from a listener named Barb who wrote this. I'm having a very hard time feeling sexy or attractive lately, and it is affecting my sex life. My body has changed in middle age, which I understand happens. Logically, I don't have issues with that. Emotionally is another story. I don't want any lifestyle tips. Lord knows I hear enough of those. What I want is to know how to keep these negative thoughts about my appearance from making sex less enjoyable. My husband is a wonderful guy who tells me I'm beautiful almost daily. But I also know he too lives in a world where youth and certain kinds of beauty are celebrated. This is such an important question. Thank you so much, Barb. Here is what Dr. Megan Fleming of GreatLifeGreatSex.com had to say. Barb, yes, yes, yes to this question. Um, because I feel you as much as probably almost, if not all women likely, and it doesn't matter whether we're a size two or 22, um, and everything on either end in between that we as women are not owning both our bodies and our pleasure. And most importantly, it's just like our vulvas, right? We come in all shapes and sizes. And it's so important. I think that we understand sort of this cultural context. Um, Emily Nagasaki, I refer to her often. She wrote the book, Come As You Are. And with her twin sister, she also wrote the book, Burnout. And the second half of that book is really about understanding the fact that, you know, what is quote unquote, the real enemy. And she refers to it as the game is rigged and the bikini industrial complex, which again, I just love because it's a billion dollar industry. I think it's so important that we as women recognize in so many ways how our body image has been co-opted by uh, Hollywood, the media, advertising dollars, and the recognition that 
we are not sort of that I, I forget who exactly said this, and perhaps August can like fill us in, but it's this idea that it's an act of rebellion, right, to love our bodies as they are and to take the resistance and the stress out. Because what is resistance and stress? It's cortisol, right? It's all the things that aren't good for our bodies. And actually, that stress response gets in the way of getting what we really want. And it's about feeling good in our bodies, feeling strong, feeling healthy, loving our curves. I mean, I love like the role models of like Mae West. Um, and really just like owning our sexy, taking back our sexy. Again, the latest book by Alexander Solomon. So as women, it's about mindset. You know, Albert Ellis, he's um, he came up with rational emotive therapy. He's sort of a, a founding father in a sense, cognitive behavior therapy. And he would say, stop wearing the shit colored glasses. He would be very crass, like he's in his 80s. And talk to you about the shit colored glasses because it's true. Our mindset is the lens with which we see the world. And I think unfortunately, you know, there's this concept of nonviolent communication. And I'm like, exactly. But between your ears, like how many of us are, you know, really not friendly and judgmental and harsh. I call it the harsh inner critic. And so it's truly, I believe, you know, just like love is a decision and a choice. I actually think being uh, loving to our bodies for their health and for their strength is, again, a decision, a choice, and a beautiful act of rebellion. So Barb, as always, would love to hear how it goes. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. She made wonderful points. That quote is actually from Caroline Caldwell, who's an artist and writer in New York. And she said, in a society that profits from your self-doubt, liking yourself is a rebellious act, which is really powerful. Um, and I wrote about some of the factors in, uh, in Girl Boner as well in the chapter on loving your body. And one thing I talk about is being aware of the wounds that caused mm. this, what I call a crisis. I think it is that we, we can't be comfortable even, much less love our bodies in many cases. Um, so knowing what those factors are and getting... I think angry about that is healthy mm -hmm. <laughs> so that you can and, – and the awareness so that you know, oh, this is not my fault. Um, so some of the factors that can contribute that I talk about in the book are you know, role models like parents and coaches, anyone who fixates on diet or appearance, religious shame around your body and sexuality, societal messaging around beauty and sex appeal, having friends or peers who fixate on looks and aesthetics. Uh, sexual objectification of girls' and women's bodies, like the the picture mm -hmm. that was brought into the dressing room we just talked about, being bullied for your appearance, um, trauma, including intergenerational trauma, which is when trauma is transferred between um, generations. So I do think that that the awareness and uh, and that rebellion Megan talked about are are two important ways to address those thoughts. Natalie, I'm curious about. Christine's story in your book, because there's this really ooh, vulnerable mm -hmm. experience that she shares. Mm -hmm. uh, could you tell us a bit about that? So she came into the dressing room during a peak sale time, and it was just absolute mayhem, and they're so busy. And I learned later that it was it was a, a, a personal goal of hers to be able to shop and come into a dressing room and buy lingerie and leave feeling good. And that it didn't happen. She came in and was really struggling with her weight and her body image and had a, a, a breakdown in the dressing room and a, a panic attack. And then I left and I went to get her water and I'm 
struggling to move through the crowds and my my only my my thinking was was solely just what what can I what am I going to do for Christine in this moment and I learned that you know she is just she she hated her body she hated herself and it was rooted from her father it started from her 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 own father who body shamed her mm. for years and I remember thinking this woman has to carry that for the rest of her life Ugh. That really, really hit me. It's amazing how, like, there was one specific comment even that stuck in her head. Mm-hmm. And I think we all have those mm-hmm. on all different kinds of topics. But but certainly I have some of those as well where you just – sometimes it's a person, you know, with good intentions. Even a lot of body shaming in a weird way. People think they have good intentions. Yeah. They're, they're saying, you know, they want you to be healthy, healthy. which is like this – loaded term like you can't tell health by appearance right Mm -hmm. yeah um and and in that that type of scenario i think i think really taking an inventory which i have an actual exercise about this but inventory of your life and finding out where all these things came from and arguing them because these are having a thought does not mean it's true. It doesn't that's not a real thing. And and I imagine at some point, hopefully, Christine realized that it wasn't true. Um, but then you need to, even before you believe it, mm-hmm. argue it, mm-hmm. which is so difficult. It is. It is difficult. But you gave her space to air that, which I think is can be a very healing experience. I did. I yeah, I definitely well it's it's hard because then she left. Right. And I, there was a, such a part of me, a yearning almost, that I, I wanted to, I, I wish I could have seen her again mm. and, and continued the conversation or had been able to have that space yeah. of, of we can do this, you can do this, which, yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, very emotional, very emotional. You've talked about being a kind of quote unquote early bloomer, mm-hmm. that you had larger breasts than, you know, maybe the average person by, I think, sixth grade. Yes. Did you feel the sexualization and objectification? Um, at what point did it become apparent, kind of either in society at large or maybe in your peers? Oh, man. So, well, definitely with peers. I mean, you you walk into a cafeteria with, with breasts, that, larger breasts, and... Yeah, it it's a it's a conversation that just happens all the time. Mm. A, a girl's body is under a microscope all the time. A woman's body all the time. And um yeah, I mean I I I saw the objectification early. I also I grew up with two boys who I mean I would find Playboy magazines under their bed and uh I remember growing up with a large picture uh, oversized picture of, of Vanna White or blown up poster and in on the wall in my brother's room breasts out uh, right I mean wearing not much do you remember how you felt when and, you saw that yeah you know I remember looking like this woman is beautiful yeah this is beautiful uh, I mean wow look at her body look at her skin yeah. she's at She's yeah, she's got it right. Going back to what you're saying about the reference on Barbie, right? Yeah, which becomes so much more than what she looks like. I think we internalize it as that's how you have value mm-hmm. as a woman or a yeah. feminine person, which is challenging. I don't know if you saw this article in the New York Times recently about Victoria's Secret. 
but they apparently their stocks have dropped like 40% Ooh. in the last year. They're still, I think, the leading seller of, of lingerie. Um, but their messages about beauty mm-hmm. are what people are rejecting. Yes, good. And that you have to have these uncomfortable push-up bras, or even if it's comfortable. But, but the images, obviously, I remember walking by a Victoria's Secret store, and you, they, it felt like they weren't selling to me. They were trying to seduce a person. Mm-hmm. You know, they're trying to seduce the quote-unquote male gaze. Yeah, exactly. Which they're not, they might be buying lingerie, but ideally they would be marketing themselves toward the person who's going to wear it. And uh, I just remember feeling really confused by those messages and feeling very less than. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I did not, I, I've not been a large, you know, breasted person. And so I internalized the message that, oh, that means I'm, you know, less sexy or even less of a woman, yeah. which is a really unfortunate message for anyone. It is. It is very unfortunate. I remember, too, even going back to the Vanna, I remember standing in my brother's room looking at this poster, gazing at her, thinking, well, my body doesn't look like that. I, I don't. Nothing about my body looks like that. And you, you start that internal dialogue. It just keeps going and going and going and going. Then you walk into a mall and you see it, right? Like you said, you walk past Victoria's Secret and it's, gosh, the the lack of of just inclusivity in general. I mean, that's a whole nother. But yeah, you see the same thing over and over and over again for the male gaze. It's true. Mm -hmm. And apparently one of the executives at at, uh, Victoria's Secret has made transphobic comments too. I believe he stepped down because of the outrage very worthy outrage. Yeah, really? Yeah. That's I know. unbelievable. It's it's very, very sad. It is sad. But consumers have so much power. I mean, mm-hmm. yes, there's a lot working against us. <laughs> you know, as Megan yeah. said, there's millions of dollars going into this. Yeah. But we also collectively have so much power. Probably my favorite, and I think the most profound and strong way to move past or stop paying as much attention to those negative uh, feelings and thoughts that that Barb was expressing is finding or holding on to some sense of curiosity or passion, something that you love that has nothing to do with what you look like mm. to to put energy into. And the saddest thing that I have seen, one of the saddest things, I've spent a lot of time in communities of people who are struggling with eating disorders and they're on that healing journey. And the saddest situation among that, I feel, is when you ask somebody about, okay, so if we just put the disorder and all these thoughts and everything aside, mm-hmm. like, what would your dream be? What would what would be the one thing that you would – What because otherwise the dream would be, oh, I want to look like this. They, you know, that's just where the disorder is is fueling your thoughts. But forget all that. Just for, just for right now, what would you do? What would be your biggest dream in life unrelated to any of this? And when you're at the lowest of the lows, you have no answer. You can't think of something. There still is always hope. And I've seen some really incredible healing. And what is so beautiful is when they reach that point Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. there's a a transformation and they start to have a light in their eyes about something. Sometimes it's a pet. Uh, In one case, it was a, a therapy pig. It was like the sweetest oh, thing I'd ever seen, this, really? this bond between this young woman and this pig. I, I mean, I literally had to uh, try to contain my own emotions just because it was 
it was so um, beautiful and wow. just uh, moving yeah, to I see bet. that and, and to have some other being to, to take care of yeah. and to feel the unconditional love that animals give. I yeah. think they're so powerful. I agree. I agree. What's helped you in your journey uh, better embrace your yourself, whether it's your appearance or your, your kind of self as a whole? Um, that's a great question. I, I think just being alone, to be honest, I got, I, I love that question. Being alone. I do, I travel alone. I, uh, I walk. I love going on walks. I love sunsets and beaches and water. I just, I'd like to just be alone in absolute mm-hmm. peace. Quiet. And to where I'm not necessarily, maybe I'm just staring off into the sky thinking about what I'm going to eat for dinner. <laughs> just a total, you know, like you said, a disconnect from, yeah. from the, the, the constant over-analysis of, mm. again, what you're looking like, how, what, how do I feeling? Just a, just a, I, just a peace yeah. and just almost wandering aimlessly, to be honest. I just, a, just a, a, yeah. That sounds very mindful, you yeah. know, to, to have a really, we talk a lot in society now, I th- thankfully about mindfulness and the importance of it and it can feel a little enigmatic if you're like so I just sit there or (laughs) do I have to meditate and do yoga walking meditation is wonderful I I love it so do I yeah and I love that answer yeah and music for me it's music I mean just having earbuds Mm. oh that's that's big for me Mm. and just completely losing myself in music and when you're alone Mm. again you realize how it's all these other forces. You might have some negative thoughts. Sure. It's residual, but sure. but there's something wonderful about like now that I'm a writer and I work primarily from home or wherever my computer is. Mm-hmm. It's very different from being in the you know acting entertainment business, of course, where yeah. there's so much focus every time you go out the door. If you're at a social event, like on what you look like, and so to. I've heard people say they take days where they don't look in the mirror or they take the mirrors down. You know, just having. We can't change the whole world, but we can create more more empowerment and freedom in our own bubble. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm hearing from you is this, I'm going to prioritize just myself, just being and go out. And you don't have to even have a, if you don't have a curiosity or passion yet, what a wonderful, and regardless, but I think that would be a really wonderful way to start getting there, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. have that. Yeah. Is that something you've done Historically, or did did it come along the way with kind of growth and learning? You know, no. I mean, I remember again just being so curious as a kid about the world around me, and I think again going for a walk with music, or I love to drive too. Just getting in my car and driving, because what I'm focusing on is the world around me, and and actually what I what I see, or even things that are tangible that I can dissect. Oh, what you know? What's this? A shell on the beach, Mm -hmm. right? That completely again takes you away from. Um, some of the negative thinking that, yeah. that we all experience. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think it was deeper. I, I have worked on grief for a long time. Lost my mother early 20s to cancer and my father uh, just a few years later, the same cancer. So it was, I went back to back as a caretaker where I kind of lost, not kind of, ex- incredibly lost every, every being of everything about myself and it was it was hard I was confused and I was lonely and isolated and that's when I really started to mm. I was trying to do the work the inner work 
but I knew that I needed something that would take me away from the overanalysis, mm. right? Or the yeah. the dark, the darkness of of grief, really. Yeah, yeah. 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 Wow, that's really. It's um, a long-winded answer. Profound. But. No, it's it's so important. It's when we go through difficult times. Mm-hmm. The I don't believe we have to go through difficult times to to grow. I do think that we can learn and grow. We can choose to to learn and grow because of something, you yeah. know, or in response to something, and allowing that healing time, um, knowing you don't have to turn it into you know a positive movement or, w- or whatever, but just that that something positive can come from from dark times is really huge. And the people that I know who've healed from all kinds of darkness, um, whether it's illness or something else, they really do have a, a whole new level of like empathy and and brilliance mm-hmm. to them mm-hmm. that that I think is really, really powerful. Yeah. 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 I think it's seeking out, mm-hmm. like you said, what what what's going to what's gonna what's going to quiet the the negative thinking the naysayer in you right and yes. I needed to find that yeah yeah, yeah. And sometimes it's just again exploring getting out and exploring it is it's so mm-hmm. true and talking and you, to strangers yeah oh that's yes. a great one talking to strangers mm. yes tell me more about that I love it well I with the dressing room it was you know so many beautiful profound moments I mean every day I would walk away like wow that's incredible either a new recipe to uh, talking about sex or dating or something, whatever, and grief even, right? Those dark days. But I, I make, I really make an effort to meet new people and have conversations, coffee shops, on my walks, neighbors, um, in restaurants. I dine alone. I love, you know, I'll take myself out to a, a candle, a candlelight dinner, uh, a lot actually. I love it. So, and I engage with waiters and those I have a guy in my neighborhood who I just love he works at uh, he works at a Chevron he works at my Chevron corner I go in I get my car washed or fill up with gas and I'm like you know how's it going and we talk we just have a conversation about life yeah every time I see him and he sends me off he's like have a great day Natalie thanks for coming in good to see you like you too so yeah yeah that's so important I think again it gets us out of our own head. It does. Too, to think about somebody else and to, to have a, a human connection. That's yes. just so powerful. And I'll also add that whenever these kinds of body image issues in particular are interfering with your sex life, whether it's with your desire or intrusive thoughts when you're having sex and you're like, orgasm's taking too long or I don't feel sexy and they're probably not attracted or whatever it is that the, the lies kind of that we tell ourselves – I think all of these things that we've been talking about are the solution in many ways. It's I think it's easy to think, oh, I must need to do something different in during sex. And maybe that's Mm -hmm. true. Maybe Mm -hmm. there are certain things you can do. And, and, you know, there can be like candlelight might make you feel a little bit safer because it's like this creates a beautiful ambiance and you might feel a little bit less under like this big bright light. and that's great. Take care of yourself in whatever way because sometimes pleasurable sex is the thing that helps you feel better about your body. Yeah. At the same time, when it's really interfering, especially in the context of a, a partner sex, I would say taking sex off the table and, and just focusing on all these things that we're talking about. You know, can you spend time alone? How does that feel? If it's scary, then maybe little baby steps um, 
going out and, and having these nature walks and and finding something you're curious about, spending time with animals, whatever they are, those things aren't sex related, but they will help. Mm-hmm. And a lot mm-hmm. of times the f- whole focus goes on the because we're concerned about the other person and rejection and how they're going to feel and and all of that. So I, I just want to add that if if you don't feel like you're in a place to have sex right now, that's okay. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. It is. Can we talk about Nicole from your book? Her story was one of my favorites, and you called her a single mother and bad to the motherfucking bone stripper who propelled you to dig deep and examine the intricacies of your own sexuality and self-confidence, igniting one hell of a fire. I highlighted that and put stars around it. Uh, yeah. Tell us about Nicole. Nicole was, man, I remember her. She was so... She was just such a badass woman. Everything about her I just loved. And going back to being really sexual as a teenager, then coming back from college after my mother died, my libido tanked and grief, right? Just I was completely disconnected from my body and and my sexuality. And Nicole came in and I remember looking at her from afar and thinking, I'm so, I'm really curious about this woman. The way she moved, the way she talked, the way she would grab panties and bras and bring it in. It was just a, it was just a, just a stellar confidence that I loved. And we went back to the dressing room and it was, a, our exchange was a lot longer than, than obviously it was in the chapter. But we had a, a, a really in-depth conversation about her life and work as a stripper, her own trajectory toward self-empowerment and loving her body through also loss and trauma and a lot of things. But it was it was liberating. She was so liberating. And I remember walking out of there thinking, oh, my goodness, I want to I want to be. I want to be that woman. I want to have that feeling about yeah. myself and my body and, and just the control, the command. Mm. It was incredible. The command was incredible. You could feel it. It was, it was palpable, palpable energy. Yeah. Yeah. Did you make any changes because of that? Did it have a, a lasting impact? Oh, hell yes. I think of Nicole all the time, all the time. And honestly, I think about her a lot before sexual experiences. Mm. She... Because, you know, I've it's it's nerve wracking when you're exposing your body, even for the first time with someone. And, you know, you you think about rejection. Right. You think about pleasure and all the things that are going on in your head. And I do. I have kept Nicole so close to just body and mind all the time, all Mm -hmm. the time. She she changed a lot for me. A lot. That's so powerful, and it's also such a great illustration of mm-hmm. the role models that we can become Yeah, when we do embrace our sexuality, however that looks for us. I think seeing that confidence, I have no idea what she even looks like, you know, and I'm very inspired by her, and I think of her, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that's a really powerful thing, as we hear a lot about, you know, confidence is the sexiest accessory, for example. Yes. And and I think there's truth in that. And Dr. Too. Megan has shared that confidence is a skill. Mm. And I think that's important because it's not something that you have to, first of all, not many people are, are born just, I'm going to be confident all the time. It's something that, yeah, it might be easier for certain people. And at the same time, it's something that we can develop regardless of our shape, size, age, gender, any of that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about the writing of the book. Oh, God, I love this question. I get it a lot, too, which I love. I think uh, the w- what I felt, what ultimately what I felt leaving that dressing room. I had, I mean, there were times where I would, I would be so emotional from hearing someone's story or having a woman, uh, I would look and watch her in the mirror and I could, you could see the self-loathing and just the, the, the lack of trust and confidence in herself. And I just, I decided I, I met a, I met a woman who came in and she also worked in the sex industry and it was the command. I keep going back to that, the confidence and the command, just learning, learning from someone, uh, learning about who they are as a human being in our world and just feeling what I felt. It was, yeah, it was, mm. it was great. So I just, I, I knew I've always been, I've always been interested in, in women and women's studies and body and sex, all of it, all of it. And I thought this was, this was it. it was, I walked away. It was an experience I had with a woman mm. who, changed it I thought yeah. I've got to write about this They're so many stories muses. Just, yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. they're absolutely yeah 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 beautiful muses for sure yeah I can't remember the statistic but there have been studies on how many people want to be a writer how many write, want to write a book I think it's more who wants to write a book yeah huge number of people a huge like the majority of people want to write a book yeah and relatively few people do what advice would you give someone who considers themselves either an ins- aspiring writer or maybe they have an idea and they just they haven't quite started? Start. You know, there's that quote, start now, start with fear, start with hands trembling, start with panic, start with all of it, doubt, just start. Write something down, carry it. You know, I was, I used, like I said, I, I would carry receipt paper. I would take receipt paper from the registers and I would, it might have been just one word. If I was, if I didn't have anything in me, I would write down that one word. I would stick it in my bra. I'm like, Natalie, that's your one word you're going to carry for the whole day. And you were going to, you're going to remember that. So I, I, and, and try and make it your business. You know, I, you said that, which I loved. I think at the end oh, of yeah. Girl Bone. <laughs> I was like, yes, I did. Oh, you yeah, I did. did. You said that, <laughs> yeah. which is so inspiring mm. and so true. You got to wake up and say to yourself, if I want this, this is my business. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to work at this every fucking day. Yes. When I don't feel well and when I feel great. Something. Mm-hmm. Something. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, I have, and I mean, I have post-its I keep on my mirror. Again, just one word, if that's it. Yeah. But I got something down. And that one word has turned into a chapter. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. Conquering it's, the, the doubt, too. Absolutely. It's really difficult. Yeah, really difficult. and I think I think it's interesting how as you move along in a creative career, you realize, I think we always have some, some level of doubt, but we get much better, hopefully, at managing it. Yeah. Not overly listening to it. Yeah. Um, I know for me, in every process with a book, so far at least, I get really excited. I'm like on fire for it and it's flowing and it's flowing. And then there will be a moment where you, probably many moments, where you think this is a pile of crap. Mm-hmm. I suck. I don't know what I'm doing. What am I even thinking? And you just you keep going. A lot of times, I think taking a break is a really good idea yeah. at that point, um, because breaks are 
a huge part of productivity, I, I feel. I think it's Agreed. very proactive mm-hmm. to, to, to rest and to marinate and all that stuff because we can overdo it, <laughs> yeah. thinking we need to write all the time. Um, but yeah, the, the doubt, especially, especially if the doubt is paralyzing at the beginning, I think what you just said, start with your hands trembling. Mm-hmm. That's huge, knowing that that's, that happens. And I think so much of that comes from fear of, is it going to be good? And I think that's not even relevant. Yeah. Do you? I mean, no. I, not then. No, no, I don't. I don't. And and it is important. I, I like what you said about taking the breaks. The, yeah, because you, that's how you recharge and you mm-hmm. can come back to it with a completely different mindset. Mm-hmm. I think it's just maybe the consistency of that, right? Knowing that, okay, I, 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 I didn't meet this goal today, but tomorrow, tomorrow I will. Um, yeah, I don't... Uh, I don't it it's a it's a it's such a, a solitary thing too right it 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 you have to work so much out with yourself and believe I always think of it's one of my favorite words is just believe believe if you can wake up believing it's that is so profound you have a story to tell everyone has a beautiful story to tell and you are worthy you are worthy and you are going to teach someone something with your story. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. What do you hope people take away most from from your book? Love, confidence and love and that again people other people can teach us strangers can teach us things that we didn't even know about ourselves. It can crack us open and make us feel and learn and reflect and that it to do you you know I, I say that I, I uh, uh, my partner teacher we always we joke and say hey you do you today you do you and it, it just it it really is when you figure what that is when you figure that out for what that looks like to, to you for you when what it means deeply means I think that's when the true self-love and respect and honor really, really happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's going to look different for everybody. I think that's another thing is the stop. This, uh, this, as a culture, we are so inundated with, um, again, obviously looking a certain way or social class, right? If, if you don't have this, you are less than. Bullshit. And you it, it and it's so easier said than done to to dismiss that and not and not uh, fall fall prey to all of that. But it, it, I I keep going back to work through it, work through those layers, mm. and believe, just believe. That's so powerful. If people want to learn more about you, your writing, your book, everything, what's the best place? Ooh. Um, so I'm I'm uh, I'm on social media. So I'm I'm working at pumping that up. I uh, um, I'm Instagram, Facebook, and then NatalieWoods.com. I have a, a website, and and yeah, I love I love meeting new people and talking to new people. And I would love love to have continue the conversation for sure. Beautiful. Thank yeah. you so much for being here. Hey, thank you, August. And I for really... writing your book. Hey, thank you. And thank you for writing Girl Boner. I really, really enjoyed it. It was powerful. Mm. I learned so much. And it's a really, really important book. And I'm going to keep passing it on. Oh, thank you. And thank ditto. you. 
Yeah. I appreciate that so I much. And again, that's Natalie Woods, Natalie with two E's. The two I, E's. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I love that spelling. Yeah, thank you. And thank I will you. include a link down in the show notes for people to to click and, and learn more. And if you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, please do leave us a review and a rating wherever you listen and hit subscribe. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. Girl Boner Radio is owned, operated, and executively produced by me, August McLaughlin, with technical producer and audio extraordinaire, Mackenzie Mazel, as part of the Period Podcast Network, an affiliate of Starburns Industries. Learn more about the Girl Boner podcast brand movement and book series at girlboner.org and more about Period at periodnetwork.com.